Hey guys, welcome to the Mac and Jack podcast. We are super pumped to have our first ever guest, Ethan Moses. He's a film 3D printing creator out of Albuquerque, New Mexico. Welcome to the show, Ethan. Hey, thanks for having me on. How you doing? How you doing? How you doing? <laughs> I'm so happy to have you here, man. Um, I really appreciate having pre-show chats with me because you have so much going on. Um, it, it's hard to keep up and it's excessively interesting. Uh, you know, I'm obsessed with all the technology side of the film industry and you, you're right there with it. Thanks. Yeah. I'm excited to have you on too. I got super excited hearing you talk about 3d printing and yeah, there's just so much potential there and like some of the stuff you're doing is just super cool. So yeah, great. Thanks guys. Jack, do you have you do you have a three D printer? I don't know. Uh, my brother in law has one, and he likes to make uh, models of Shrek. Nice. <laughs> That's a so great use of it. Yeah, you just download some files from yeah, Ethan. Exactly that. Yeah, yeah. I'm, sure, I'm sure we can uh, work up an arrangement. I uh, also buy a 3D printer these days for 175 bucks. But Just, Ethan, is that is that one that could make like one of the products that you have uh, for downloadable yeah. files? Yeah, I used to make my products with way worse printers than that. Back oh, really? Yeah, I mean, printers have gotten really good and really cheap. You can buy these uh, Ender threes. Creality does not sponsor me, but they should for all the five people buying them. <laughs> <laughs> but it, no, I think, actually, when I did the Bronco Pan, which uh, I released all the files for, I probably sold like eighty thousand dollars worth of uh, this machine. Oh, you can't see behind me, but uh, the machines that are behind me is the Creality Ender Three or Ender Three Pro. They're uh, they're good machines, <laughs> very you cheap. Reach out to him, get that sponsorship. Yeah, so, and you're saying like one hundred fifty bucks, I can buy a really decent three D printer and make some cool stuff. Is that what you're saying? One seventy five. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, because like there's a lot of guys right I've out seen... of business. <laughs> right there, you go. I mean, I've seen some guys on some forums that like. I mean, it's really taken off in these little sub communities. Like a bunch of these other film photographers. Like, there's a bunch of needs, and right, so they're out there designing it. And I, and I hear that, and I'm like, um, man, I, somehow I would mess that up. But it sounds like it's like the barrier to entry is lower and lower I mean, look, every we, year. Yeah, the barrier to entry is lower every year. I mean, a printer like this would have cost you know five thousand dollars. 10 years ago we have uh, cell phone chips that are cheap and good and people have figured a lot of things out for you already but like also in terms of messing something up like that is the process of engineering nobody gets anything right the first time you you make something it is a failure you know you see what you've messed up and take some notes you make some changes and continue you know you uh, you would be no worse than i am you just might need to try a few more times. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Ethan, I mean, we jump right into it, but like, let's frame it out. So, who is Ethan Moses? What is your what is camera dactyl? What 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 is my motivation? What yeah. is? Who are you? Why are you on a film show? Well, not a film show. It's just a Mac and Jack podcast, but we talk about film and and stuff. But so, what do you do, Ethan? How are you involved in all this craziness? Man, uh, it's. Maybe, <laughs> maybe a long story. Um, Are you an engineer by like? Uh... No, but I play one on YouTube. Uh, <laughs> no, I dropped out of a uh, physics program at some point because a friend of mine said to me, like, you know, some people work really hard all week to make enough money to do what they want on the weekends, and mm -hmm. other people just do what they want. And so I dropped out of college to go become a photographer. And that year I made $7,000 and lived on my mom's couch. And it was miserable. <laughs> it was so bad. Uh, yeah. No, I was not a good photographer. I loved it. You know, I've been shooting film since uh, maybe I was 13 when that was just it. I remember, you know, the uh, steady advance of digital cameras. I bought and sold film cameras for a long, long time. Um, yeah, so I don't know. This this could be a long story or a short story. Uh, so, yeah, you were passionate about film photography. You're uh, what uh, physics? 
Yeah, I dropped out of a physics program. It, I, I eventually got a degree in economics, but I don't know. Physics dropout that, that went economics, and then all of a sudden you create, you're obsessed with 3D printing, and you make configurable cameras, uh, printable not exactly. cameras. Exactly. So, okay. Um, a number of years ago, I was buying and selling anything. I, I was like liquidating retail stores and uh, trying to sell some women's clothing on the internet. And kind of, I had a friend who has. He had a baby. He's a good friend of mine from high school. Actually, uh, the friend who taught me to develop film, although this is not necessarily a film-related story for another you know, 25 paragraphs. Uh, so he has a baby and asks me if I can go run his uh, mobile canning business for a month or two so he could like, you know, chill out, with, be with his wife, be with his kid. Um, and so I said, sure, you know, I'll go work for you for a couple of months. And... Uh, so I went there and basically the job was to like truck around this half million dollar rig of uh, like, like a, uh, what do you say, conveyor belt system of uh, canning machinery and you would put uh, like beer in one end and cans and lids and things in, in another and then out the end would come, you know, pasteurized canned beer or packaged beer. Anyway, um, Working on that line was super dumb. Like, I was happy to do it, you know, to give Josh some time. <laughs> Not that he took the time off. He took the time to work double hard on his business, but he's a good dad. Um, and and so running the, the machine was, you know, just like pulling a lever once in a while and standing there. Pretty boring. But the machine would go down all the time because it was uh, sort of like new, uh, smallerized technology from old cam and gear systems in, uh, you know, canning and, and bottling machines. Anyway, I found wound up fixing this machine like every single day. And then when I got back home, I decided to make uh, sort of industrial machinery because it was so expensive and I knew how it worked. Um, so I kind of got into more like programming things and making uh, microcontrollers, small... Um, I didn't make the microcontrollers. I would use microcontrollers in other projects to, let's say, monitor the density of beer or the temperature of a fridge and send somebody a message, like little, you know, custom IoT things or, or machines that moved something from one place to another for generally small food packaging businesses, right? right. Um, and at some point years ago, I bought a 3D printer because I thought I would strap a laser to it for the purpose of etching PCBs so I could make faster prototypes of electronics. I was hoping you were saying you're going to put a laser on a shark, but you didn't go there. <laughs> Dang nice it. Next uh, Next at, later, we could go look at my uh, six-foot-long laser tube that I just got in. That's a different right. project. It's yep. a pretty fun one. Um, so, yeah, you thought you got a 3D printer. You're going to put a laser on. got this 3D printer, wound up waiting for months for these ships to come in, and I couldn't cut anything. And so it's just sitting on my desk with, like, the one roll of filament that, uh, you know, came with the thing. And so I decided to start printing some things and I printed like a cube and maybe some screws. And then, you know, I was kind of thinking it would be nice to have a four by five camera. I wonder like if anybody has, uh, pushed the, the limits, uh, to be able to like make a functioning camera people at that time, you know, I mean, it's going very fast. People have released some really wonderful cameras since then. But at that time there were really simple like pinhole models and, and nothing all that complicated. And so, you know, just I didn't have a camera making business. I had bought and sold cameras for almost a decade, but I did not uh, I didn't plan on starting like a 3D printing business. I was not obsessed with 3D printers. I was more obsessed with Arduinos uh, and programming back then. Um, and yeah, so I started printing things. I started making parts for this four by five field camera. And like it kind of took me three months in my off time or sometimes in time I should have been doing other things and um, I made this uh, four by five folding field camera which people can't see at home but you could probably find it if you search the camera dactyl four by five it's loosely inspired by a deerdorf but looks like a crazy robot anyway Anyone listening the colors are sublime <laughs> <laughs> they're bananas uh, I, I think... love the bellows Thanks. The fabric well, bellows. it's like it's, a, it's like a baby blue uh, with white spots for anyone listening yeah, yeah. It's uh, so, you know, I was just getting deal of the week filament. I've probably told this story a million times, but uh, you know, got whatever color 
like so week one prototype parts were baby blue week two were yellow week three was probably pink was on sale and so i had this crazy colored camera and i like posted a couple pictures on instagram and like as cool as i thought it it was i didn't think it was cool because it was all these colors but um the internet really seemed to latch on to that and so that's been something i've been you know kind of going with and and making uh probably more professional cameras these days but but still keeping with crazy color schemes. I did learn though not to let people pick every color on a camera because you got some wildly gross looking cameras. <laughs> I can only imagine. Yeah. So th- so the four by five was your first foyer into um three D printing film related products and that's yeah. camera dactyl like you said a four by five film camera. And you were just selling you were selling the actual, oh yeah, production batches, so not just. I know one of them you were selling downloads of the files. Yeah, correct? so I'm actually, I, I have run three successful Kickstarters in the course of this business. Yeah. Um, yes. The first one was that. Uh, that one I put on Kickstarter. I just made one for myself, you know, and I just put it on Kickstarter. I think I was looking to raise like $2,000, whatever. It didn't matter to me. I just wanted to, you know, give some people some cameras. Well, ultimately, it was uh, like, I don't know. It took way too long to make a $200 camera, but I sold, I don't know, 30 or 30, 40 of them. Yeah. 35 backers. It looks like. Yeah. 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 So it was, uh, it actually took me like months to a, a month and a half to fill all those orders, but I had to buy 10 printers to do it. And then I had all these printers left over. Right. And so I started making other things like handheld four by five cameras and medium format cameras and pinhole cameras and film cases and camera grips. And, uh, yeah, just like kind of, I had printers with time, so I Might started well. designing other things and kept them running. Um, and then I think a little while ago, I designed a camera that just takes way too long for me to build. I'd have to charge like, you know, well over a thousand dollars to put it together. But you could put it together at home for free and enjoy that twelve-hour process. Whereas, <laughs> you know, if I'm going to build a hundred of them, it's it's my year. Yeah, I, I can't. Which one is this? The is that you're talking uh, about, Ethan, was it on Kickstarter as well? Yeah, that was the second Kickstarter. Right, and that's that the one where you paid the, to download the file. Bronco Pan. Yeah, so actually yeah. people paid whatever they wanted, and then everybody who paid anything, whether it was $100 or $1, got all the files. Like, no no, so you know, fiddling around. Just, I need this amount of money. I don't care who gets to that. You know, if one person gives me twelve grand, or, you know, 1,200 people give me a dollar, don't care. You give me that much money, and and I gave it to everybody. And then um, a number of months later, I made it free to the world, uh, you know, which I told the Kickstarters I would do. But they would get it first, and then the whole world would get it sort of as a gift from them and me. Um, and so, yeah, you can download this one right now and print it out. It's pretty good. And, and that's the Bronco pan. And then what lens board is that? I mean, what size, what format is this? The Bronco so this is a Mamiya press lens. Um, yeah. and it has a breech mount on it, so you can change lenses also has files for every Mamiya Press lens focal length uh, for the viewfinders that just slip into a full shoe. Um, And then it has, you know, a ratcheted film advance. Uh, It has a frame counter. Um, What? uh, A freaking frame counter? Yeah. Guys, Uh, what we're looking at on the screen, it's like Legos put together, but it's a 120 camera. Yeah, it's kind of like Legos, except like when you print them out, then you have to trim and sand things and grease things right. and assemble them. It's, um, you know, it's probably a pound and a half brick. Uh, <laughs> you cannot cannot break it, but it is not a small or discreet camera. Um, and, and that was should... your second one, yeah, the Bronco Pan. Yeah, so that was that was the second one, and then um, it shoots this uh, twenty-four by fifty-eight millimeter frame in the back it's sort of panoramic it's mm-hmm. less than an x-pan it matches um cinema anamorphic aspect ratio um which is kind of what we would see widescreen movies in mm-hmm. i made it for a cinematographer friend of mine and yeah you know it's got like strap lugs and like a button to open the back door and a rewind knob and then like some slip clutch stuff so you can rewind uh and then wind film but it's you know it's pretty Pretty basic type of camera, but pretty advanced, I think, for uh, 3D printed cameras. Maybe not the most, but like. Sure, you are completely underselling that. 
Like, right. It, it, is, yeah. it is really, really well spelled. Yeah, if you're listening, go to cameradactyl.com and then look at this stuff. You'll be like, what? It's ridiculous. So, yeah, like, yeah, so, I mean, when I see that, Ethan, I'm thinking, you know, what does it take to mass produce something like that faster and cheaper? Because, like, that's the what my personal opinion in the film industry, the barrier for a film manufacturer to create a new camera is dudes can go online and buy a film camera for 30 or 40 bucks. Right. Totally. They're going to, you know, people will buy a brand new film camera, maybe for a few hundred dollars, but you know, we're not going to pay F six prices. Everyone can like a debate on why well, the F six died, but uh, you know, a thousand dollars for some camera Brent. No, people aren't going to pay that when they can get a $30. You can get a Nikon F three right, for but, like, 100. I mean, so the, the answer is people are not going to pay that comma when you can get a camera for 30 bucks on eBay. And I totally agree. Right. Um, and so there are some cameras that I can make like, uh, this homunculus that is a six by nine or six by six camera, whatever back you put on it. And like, I can offer this at a reasonable price, like competing with what's out there, right? What's a reasonable but then there's price? Uh, 135 or 145. There you go. Yeah. Like Anything that, under $300, I think people would yeah, buy. Yeah, it's, it's sellable. It's a little expensive for what it is, but it's pretty cheap considering my time. Uh, but like a camera like this, I think this is a more fun camera than the homunculus. But and this you're referring to the Bronco Pan for this. Yeah, yeah. sorry. Yeah. Um, you know, I know it is definitely not worth $1,500, right? But if you said, Ethan, build me one, I would say, sorry, it's going to take me a few days, $1,500. Like, it, right. you can that download it, sense, you can though. have it free. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and, and I am under no illusion that, like, for that amount of money, you couldn't go out and buy a much nicer camera than the Bronco Pan or, you know, something else. Somebody might really want it and pay me to do it, but I'd much rather that they just download it, make a $2 donation or, or none, whatever. Right. Um, and, and so... Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say at the same time you've got to you've got to kind of weigh up. It's it's a lot of time when you're part. You've got a certain set of skills which others don't have. So yeah, that's yeah, that's gonna cost. And you're not a factory of like two hundred, three hundred employees. Right. Like you, so it's not going to be the same kind of kind of setup. Yeah. So there's a couple of things going on, which is that like um, <clears throat> while there are thirty dollar film cameras that are excellent on eBay, it's hard for new entrants into the market or uh, competing cameras in that spot, right? Because you're sort of beating, if not that price, at least, you know, 200 bucks for most decent cameras, right? And uh, one, that price is going to go up. So it might make room for more niche cameras, right? Because they're not making anymore and people are That's still right. into film. And so long as they're making film, like those cameras will die and get lost and burn in house fires over the years, get dropped. And they're a, you know, a finite resource. And so sure. when they get more expensive, I think we will see a little bit more complicated cameras and particularly competing around like 35 millimeter SLRs and range finders. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and then the other part of it was, I don't know if the amount of people into film cameras is going to increase, but for the mass production of things that we used to see, like, like a Nikon F100 for a thousand dollars, like there's twenty million dollars worth of machinery in thirty thousand square feet of space to make that camera, at least just that camera, right? And so, even if you were selling that camera for a thousand dollars now, and a hundred percent of it was profit, <laughs> like how long would it take you to amortize the millions of dollars worth of tooling and machinery and R and D that would right. go into a Nikon F100? It just the market, I don't think, is ever going to be there for that style of camera. But I think, you know, cell phone electronics get cheaper every day. Uh, 3D printers get better and cheaper and other manufacturing methods become available to us. Uh, online services open up for prototyping parts in different uh, manufacturing methods. And so, you know, OK, we probably won't see a Contax G2, but we probably will see something pretty close to like Maybe a Texas Leica or a Leica Leica, but fatter. Right. Yeah. And you think, you, you said earlier, you don't think the number of film shooters is increasing? Is that what? I mean, if it is, it's going up. I, I don't know. I don't think it's ever going to increase to the level that it was yeah, of course, you know, yeah. in 1998, right? And maybe it will become 100 million people worldwide, but I think it's probably something like, a million people worldwide and, and maybe it'll double, but like even still, I don't think that 
you know, uh, supports like a giant amortized business like that. Right. Yeah. So the future definitely is the stuff that you're doing. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> we'll I think see. so. Trying. Right. Yeah. I mean, w- to your point earlier about the massive cost to jump into the game, I mean, it doesn't make sense unless you can do it super low cost, you know, pr- 3D printing a ton of stuff mm-hmm. in a boutique way like you're doing. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's worked out all right for me. I, I really dig it. That's good. Uh, so that's surprising. I mean, I really thought you were like full-blown engineer guy by, I mean, the crazy stuff that you're cranking out. And then, I mean, what what really made me think that though was your third Kickstarter, which I want to talk about, talk about, because I think this is really what, in my opinion, one of the other barriers to entry to film photography or one of the deterrents is like, uh, developing and scanning your film, right? Like somebody comes from it. So this 22-year-old kid who can take a, fo- a picture on his uh, phone that looks amazing uh, gets interested in film, and then he has to develop it and scan it, and that's where people start falling off, right? So you, your third Kickstarter is the Camerodactyl Mongoose, which is, of course, you still need to develop the film, but once it's developed, you, you have created a product that I can take a developed roll of film put it into this little thing on a light table that grabs the film with a mounted DSLR above it or mirrorless mirrorless camera. And once you calibrate the first frame, essentially, I'm simplifying it probably too much, but once you do that calibration, you're ready to go and it's going to advance and take the photos for you in like a minute and 30 seconds. Yep, I think you did a pretty good job of selling it. I tried to keep the Kickstarter video to like, one roll of film so i tried to speak real fast which is tough for me and get it under <laughs> like a minute 22 or something um but yeah so it's it's just a uh, negative carrier um it's not a scanner but it also controls a camera and um i think it was the first uh negative carrier to market that was motorized that i know of and then also the first to do edge detection so it doesn't just like blindly advance your film it like advances a little bit looks for the uh, edge of the frame finds it aligns your film triggers the camera and continues until the film runs out and then it'll beep and stop but um, yeah i think dslr scanning that's amazing yeah i think it is for some people right like labs have been digging it um the human who is scanning cut film which is not any faster in the mongoose i got something else I'm working on, but we could talk about that in a few months. Um, but you know, if you have like archives of cut film where you shoot one roll of film, you know, on a special occasion, like mongoose ain't for you. Like it's just, it's overbuilt and you could use a pixelator for 40 bucks and still get an amazing result. In fact, maybe, you know, a better result, uh, at least the same, but it just takes a little bit longer to do. And so for some people, I think that it's a real game changer, but, um, for most people, it's just like a one of those specialty products, uh, you know, out, out there. Yet again, he's underselling it, Jack. I mean, I know, I know. like, well, but I'm also talking to guys who shoot a ton of film, right? How many, hey, how many this guy right here. Say, you're speaking to one of them. Yeah, I shoot thirty to forty <laughs> rolls, right? So, uh, I moved. How long? I moved to Arizona in May, and since May, I've been shooting about forty rolls a month, and up until. A couple weeks ago, I've been mailing off all that film. So guess who's broke? This guy. Uh, and then I started developing film again, and I remembered why I liked being broke as opposed to having to – I'm using a um, plus tech scanner, so it's five minutes per negative, right? And then I got to – I can't imagine. So I, I, I want to like relay to our listeners that – listen to what you can do. You, you have your roll of film drying wherever you hang it, and when it's dry, you just walk up to this device that Ethan has made – your camera's all set up, right? It has a light table. You just feed the thing in there, and in a minute and 30 seconds later, all your uh, DNG files, I would presume, are ready to go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. It, is, uh, it is pretty quick. Like, if that's what you want to do, it's absolutely the thing for you. If, uh, you know, it, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm sort of focused a little bit on digitizing archives these days and some other right. projects that I'm, I'm working on. But um, yeah, I think a bunch of people are really going to dig it. All the labs have loved it so far. So, so yeah. Far, so and I, now I got to make 80 of them. <laughs> what's funny, Ethan is, so I saw when you released, I think it was your Kickstarter for this. 
uh, it's ex- the the main reason I wasn't going to get into you know DSLR scanning was like I, the you know the the process itself. It's still it is fast, but I don't even want to do that if I'm going to have to do that. I mean that being advance it by hand manually and, and line it all up. I'm I'm sure once you get the fo- the focus set, it's relatively easy. But you know I get stuff going on and I'm, I'm usually working as I'm scanning. And if I could just have it do that game changer and then when you announced it as soon as you announced that several other i guess they would be called competitors like they announced it and it it was really it was really fast um so that was really cool to see and that's good for all of us there's a a lot of options out there and i guess to even further automate that process there's something called like negative live pro right so i could take that dng that all those frames that were shot in like a minute and 30 seconds and just feed them into that. And that's further automating the entire process. Or even just Lightroom, you know, like if you're shooting the same, yeah. uh, the same film stocks, like you just make a profile for one and have it autoplay as it comes in right from your uh, camera. That's ridiculous. Um, so this, that, that Kickstarter completed. Right, and you're making units now. That's what all the stuff in the background is. Yeah, all day, every day. Uh, I actually just ran out of filament the other day. I got a box in. I got to put these on the machines. But I basically run 21 printers and a laser cutter all day, every day. And I'm starting to assemble parts. Although I'm still waiting on a few like silly little components like 280 50k ohm resistors and uh 40 audio jack plugs and uh bunch of ethernet cable connectors but uh i'm gonna do what i can to build everything you know ahead of time and then drop in the last parts as they arrive from china but yeah it's uh it's been interesting just like assembling all day every day it's not super fun but i've been live streaming and talking to weirdos on the internet who are (laughs) really charming <laughs> yeah but come on that's really really exciting you must be so proud of what you've uh, achieved in this project thanks yeah i i uh i i feel like i'm gaining some ground here <laughs> good yeah i mean and think just the decisions that you've made all of a sudden now you're like this camera film camera industry guy it's Ethan moses guy. yeah <laughs> it's a small <laughs> industry right i what's what i think is really cool is like um one of the things I've gotten to do over the last three years is like meet everybody in the industry. <laughs> like everybody it is not a lot of people, uh, but like you, I, I watch your uh, YouTube videos. I probably have for years before we met. And then like, I don't know what we started talking about, but yeah, uh, yeah it's, it's a really cool part of it. It is. It is weird. I, I like how small the community is, but dude, it's growing really fast. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. so. Yeah, I think my YouTube channel started like a year and a half ago, maybe two years, and uh, it was nobody out there. And it, it, there's so many new, like, really great film photographers every day, and people making products that like fill the voids that are in there right now because no ma- major manufacturer, to the points outlined earlier, really will support it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so, so that kind of makes sense. I mean, I did want to backtrack a little bit. See, you said how you got into photography was you were taking a physics class and you thought, eh, I'm not feeling this. I'm going to ship somewhere else. (laughs) Well, so I was real into photography when I was a kid. Like, uh, I grew up in New York. B&H used to have, I I bet they still have like these hanging boxes that fly around the ceiling. And, you know, I remember buying my first camera when I was 13. I think I actually, I thought I was like a, you know, outdoorsman mountain man when I was, maybe 10 and I had uh, really never been camping and we were going to go to the Grand Canyon. And so I spent my entire life savings from like babysitting and building people's Ikea bookshelves in my apartment building on a Nikon N60, which is now worth like $25 or whatever. (laughs) So uh, so are you saying you were basically doing like TaskRabbit before they even existed? Oh yeah. So, well, I grew up in an apartment building, right? So like at 10, people would pay me, and sometimes I'd do it for free, depending upon what it was, uh, to, like, build Ikea bookshelves. Like, and, and, you know, there's 100 families in the building. Somebody knows that this 10-year-old will put together your bookshelf for $5. Like, everybody would just do it. <laughs> I got very yeah, good no, at that. Nobody wants to touch the billy. Yeah, exactly. Just get that collax together and let's, let's call it a night. That's, yeah, that's, that's the, awesome to hear you're networking so young. <laughs> yeah, there, there were also, like, other 
odd jobs, right? We would shovel snow in uh, in snowstorms, and uh, I don't know. I, I babysat a lot. Anyway, digression. Um, I <laughs> bought my first camera. I was like 13 or 14. Um, I immediately broke my ankle like the next month, and so we had to cancel the trip to the Grand Canyon. And uh, I was like hobbling around on crutches, and my mom felt bad for me and bought me an enlarger. And I kind of like spent that summer, maybe when I was like 14, um, Such on my a bathroom good floor. Yeah, so good. Changed my life. I have that enlarger over here right now. <laughs> that's even that's so cool that you've kept it as well. Oh yeah. Oh nice. So do you that's... shoot any, Ethan? Yeah, yeah. So um, I guess like I have a personal Instagram, which is mostly just funny pictures, which is, uh, you know, uh, Instagram.com slash Ethan Moses. Yeah, Ethan Moses. And then uh, there's also EthanMoses.com, which is a website I made like 20 years ago almost and have not updated since. But, uh, yeah, I saw you that. know, I was checking like, it what now. in the world is going uh, is, on? Has it got GeoCities vibes? Different no, thing. it's it, we're we're in like a slightly later era. It's more like Dreamweaver, Flash. Oh, yeah, I remember doing this stuff at school. Oh, yeah. this, this this is a flashback. I love it. Right, you might have to like uh, install or allow a Flash plugin to see that yeah. website. I and can't see half of it, and I can't either. It, no, it, what, hasn't Flash just like finished or something? No, you can still read it. You just have to enable the plugin, but uh, oh. they just they won't support it anymore. But Okay, uh, I haven't made a Flash website in 20 years, right now, so, you know. <laughs> Don't judge him on his website, guys. Yeah, but, I mean, I like the point is, I like taking pictures of stuff, sure. Yeah. <laughs> what <laughs> camera do you shoot? Camera dactyl? Yeah, I shoot a lot of camera dactyl cameras. Um, I also have some fancier cameras that I like to shoot with occasionally. Um, I guess probably the most common cameras you would find me shooting with if they're not something that I've made is like a Canon P with a, uh, let's see, a Jupiter 12 35-2.8 Russian lens yeah. uh, okay. or a, a Nikon F with a 35 F2. Um, yeah, those guys. I definitely want to try the Nikon F for sure. It's great. The F2 is a better version of the same thing, but... I got I got some sentimental value on this camera I bought for five dollars once. So five bucks, woo! Yeah, nice. I'm a fan of five bucks, guys. Mm -hmm. So, man, when when do you think it, when are you hoping to get that first batch out? Well, well, so this is this is a point of contention. I think this is my first like Kickstarter delay. Uh, uh -oh. I don't have all of the pieces. However. Um, under this desk, I have like pieces for the first two and a half, three batches of mongooses. And then over there, I have most of the pieces. But like what I'm going to wind up with is all of them done minus like three Ethernet ports that I have to just pop in and solder quickly one day as soon as they come in. But, um, you know, I think I will have most of them done in January sometime, which is, you know, one month on a Kickstarter. It's not great. And I don't feel great about making people wait, but also, you know, it's it's not like a year delay or anything. I, uh, and like, yeah, you got to think of you're the only guy that's going to have that edge de detection when it ships, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, some people might figure it out between now and then, trying to find some of these boxes. But as this recording, we're in the middle of uh, toward, uh, of December, so he's saying January. If a competitor needs to do something crazy between now and then before those first ones ship, I mean, that are in people's hands, that's amazing. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I think yeah. Um, people will dig them. And I'm building some extras, so like kind of a couple of weeks after those go out, I will put some up for retail on the site and then have some other products coming out. Yeah, man. I'm definitely going to buy one of those post-fulfillment uh units for sure because like i said man my plus tech is i just i just have to do the research what would i need i would have, of course have to have the dslr the mirrorless but then that uh, a macro lens right and mm -hmm. uh that gives me one-to-one -one. and then you have the is the light with it they need to have a light table you need it. to have a light table but you know if you wait a generation things might be different what would you recommend so, for the first generation light table wise what what uh specs for a 
minimally acceptable light table because like a lot of people just buy something random. Yeah, minimally and, accessible light table. Like I mean, it does not need to be big. You can buy one for like twenty two bucks for a panel on Amazon. You can get really crazy into looking for uh, sort of perfect CRI. Yeah, I hear that you know bandied around a lot, and I don't really understand that because I don't, I'm not involved with any of that. So I mean, you're, what is your recommendation? Is that a point uh, important, and should they pay attention to that? And if so, what is that level? That yeah, is it, it depends like what you're doing. So black and white, it does not really matter at all. Um, for color, it starts to matter, and it depends. So um, basically, like uh, when you look at the sun or um, an incandescent light, it's, uh, we call it black body radiation. It's a continuous spectrum. So from like infrared all the way to ultraviolet, it's putting out a little bit of each wavelength of light, right. From the sun. Um, and the led is often tuned to have like, <clears throat> excuse me, a peak wavelength or it might have one or two peak wavelengths where it's like uh, balanced white, but it might have like one green and one magenta wavelength and nothing in between them. And the problem is, is if you just have a white balanced light and often they'll be indicated in degrees Kelvin for the white balance, it doesn't tell you anything about the black body radiation curve or, or the, the spectrum of light uh, put out by this light. And so what happens is if you only have a green and a magenta, and even though they balance to make like a white looking light to you, if you're trying to look at like a yellow through your slide or your negative, like you might not get that yellow in its full color rendition. And I mean, that's an extreme case. Most LED panels have like a pretty reasonable CRI. If I was doing like reproductions for Gregory Crudson or something like that, I better make sure I have like the nicest light panel on earth because <laughs> yeah, the dude's no going to spend 40 grand on a print or whatever, you know, but, um, I think really like Amazon has a, it, it's hard to like tell you what the, cheap good option on amazon is because they change every couple of weeks but they do have like a free return policy so like you can buy one check it out if it sucks you send it back like the low-end stuff is not rated for cri they don't like publish data sheets on a 20 dollars light box for what what this you know spectral uh, output of it is and so i would say like most of them are pretty good like just a flat led light panel that's five by seven or whatever you can buy them right. for 20 bucks on Amazon. If they suck, buy the next one up. Um, yeah. And then there's also, like, you know, fancier. You could go to B&H or Adorama and, like, actually ask them what the CRI of their uh, light panels are and spend, you know, 150 bucks or whatever. But um, there's everything in between. I don't think yeah, you I mean, get too fancy. I mean, I was concerned about CRI because my, like, initial research, I started seeing, like, some other people who make scanning stuff recommend a certain level CRI, and they had two levels. So I was like, oh, okay, this is a stat I need to pay attention to. But it sounds like you, the guy who's, you know, knocking out a pretty amazing product here, you're saying test out some of the cheaper ones and just, you know, your visual feedback will yes. tell you if it sucks yes. or rocks. Of yeah, of course. Yeah. Right. So, like, you know, if I had a professional job, like, so I had a job kind of around college where uh, I worked for a studio photographer and, you know, people would spend $6,500 on one picture that would go into a magazine. Like, if you were scanning that, like, okay, you can spend a couple thousand dollars on, like, color calibration monitors and, uh, you know, spectrometers and, like, <laughs> get, get really technical about scanning that piece of 4 by 5 But... You know, I, I don't know. Like, uh, I, I don't want to say nobody would see any difference, but like, uh, cheap LED panels are very, very good now. Is yeah. Basically, what's going on? And would I think argue, most. Oh yeah, please. No, go ahead, Jack. I'm sorry. So, so would would you argue with, with that kind of thing? It's kind of set to a level where, you, like, very few people would actually notice a difference, and the only reason they would is because they're either that they're more discerning or they yeah, have so, access to other screens and they know what like quote how the other half lives and they're like nah right. I can't go back so, so I would say your average like person looking at two images would not necessarily notice any difference if you were told that there's a difference between them you can I'm sure see you know a difference of like 10 CRI or something like that and if you're really in tune like it's kind of like this, this uh, it's not as silly to me as um, like gold plating your audio jack connections, you know, people do that. People have like gold braided wire to 
you know, decreased noise and interference on their on their million dollar sound system. I think at some point it's you know diminishing returns for sure in both. Um, I would like a nice uh, CRI light. Like when I shoot studio portraits, I use some very nice like uh, you know daylight balanced strobes that put out almost a full spectrum. Um, it it does matter, but I mean, not that much. <laughs> that way, I would I don't want to say CRI doesn't matter that much. The difference between a twenty dollar light panel these days usually and a two hundred dollar light panel is not that much. Yeah, that that that, that makes sense. And I, I liked your uh, link to yeah audio equipment because it's this this mm -hmm. kind of thing. Mm -hmm. it's only, yeah, it's certain bit. A certain um, threshold you hit, then it kind of doesn't matter really. Yes. yes. Yeah. Are you an audiophile, Jack? Uh, no. Um, if you saw my turntable setup, uh, a lot of people would be very upset. I run a cheap ass amplifier that was free with a couple of uh, desktop speakers, which I think sound great, but they're really small. And yeah, if anyone who was into hi fi saw it, they would probably scream, um, which is great because I. Mm -hmm. I, I quite like sharing that with people. <laughs> they have such high expectations. It's like, no. <laughs> They're like, you should get new speakers. Like, no, no this, this is fine. What about you? Uh, not into audio at all. <laughs> I got these nice gamer headsets. That's it. Did you say you're not into audio at all? Just like, yeah, I mean, in general, like yeah, anything like, that makes you know, sound, you're like, nah, I'm good. That sound sucks. Yeah, yeah. F sound. sound like, geez, the, who needs that? Yeah. This is How crazy. dare you? Sound, guys. Uh, yeah, I mean, like sometimes I have like a little Bluetooth speaker. I have yeah. these uh, Bluetooth headset with the kitty ears, but um, they're actually really good sound. But they don't, they don't have a good mic, so I can't talk to people. I've been uh, doing a lot of video calls of late, <laughs> so everything has to be silent. I was I like I'm not a sound guy either, Ethan. But I was like forced to like a few of my YouTube videos had that really terrible sound. And you know I'm I'm not a videographer, but I guess when you put out a YouTube video, you're kind of in there, so you're responsible for it. Uh, so people told me that it was, thought it was terrible. And then like, but to your point, I I just want it to work, and if it sounds decent, okay. But I can definitely see the audiophiles who are like really into it. Why? Because man, it it really does make a difference. One of my friends had like a really amazing setup and. It's yeah, night I mean, and day. You and I are like owners, right? I don't know about Jack. But, <laughs> yeah. uh, hey, he yeah, is. I, yeah, Jack. Yeah, okay. yeah. Oh, there it is. All right. Yeah. For the listeners, okay. he just whipped out his life in front of the camera. Thanks, Jack. It's been on my desk for ages. <laughs> I used to use the damn. Okay. So, like, being like owners, we shouldn't throw stones at, uh, you know, real hi fi fetishizers, right? Because you could buy a Nikon for 30 bucks right. and it would work every bit as good as it, like, <laughs> but still, it's very nice. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, and it, I think all the finer things are out there for if you just want to dabble in them. It's not bad that they exist. I think people demonize certain brands, and I don't know why they have so many like really negative feelings towards it. I mean, they should speak to a counselor and work through those issues because guess what? A like is an inanimate object, you know. People choose to buy them. <laughs> There's like, I, I, not, I look, I'll tell you what though. I was a like a hater forever. I mean, like obnoxiously so guilty as charged and then i ran one for the first time and then you just run something that's engineered well you feel it you know and you're like okay i i see why people talk about it but it's just a camera body it's not going to make you take a better photo but you may feel better about taking photos or be inspired to do so mm -hmm. for sure yeah craftsmanship is craftsmanship and, and if people can like just pick and you know select what they think is worthy of a good price because they like it then that's you know whatever it, it's across anything but like a glass is definitely different though i've noticed that i mean the new thing i say is you can't argue with results but and there are really inexpensive rigs that can take amazing photos like i have a repurchased an olympus om1n and it has a 5014 zuko glass on it Really like it, man. The images it produces. Yeah, the images it produces are amazing. It's a sub $200, $200 kit, like lens and camera. And you can't argue with results, you know? So, like, yeah, you could pay a ton for a Leica lens, but if they're getting results for sub 200 good for you. You know, whatever. Results are all that matters. And that you're happy with it, right? Because some people get results and they just aren't happy with it because in their brain, it doesn't have the little red Leica logo. No, you're getting results. You just need to 
you know, love those results or, or just go fishing and buy that lens. That's a used car, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so why, why did you get us on that Leica rant, Ethan? <laughs> I, I don't know. We kind of veered all the way from like, uh, Oh, CRI of, uh, yeah. to audio yeah. equipment to back to camera, uh, analogies to explain the audio analogies to explain. There we the, go. Full uh, circle. Ethan, thank you for bringing us back around. I really yeah. appreciate that, man. I was lost out in the woods and I needed that. I needed that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so the CRI, I, and I think other people who are starting to research scanning, they're, they're going to see those things. And like some of those were really expensive, Ethan. And I was like, holy crap. Okay. You know, I could, it seemed unreasonable. I got to buy a lens. I got to buy a light table. And now they're talking about really high CRI. And I looked at one, it was hundreds of dollars for it. And I was like, this is kind of crazy, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yep. it is kind of crazy. But your solution is is crazy and expensive. When I saw it, I mean, there are competitors who just have the thing that holds the film, just holds the film, doesn't advance it. It's a block of metal with something. That right. So, I mean, I have this discussion all the time. It's kind of like the deal with the Bronco pan being $1,500, right? It's like, right. it's okay, the Bronco pan for what it is and what it does is not worth $1,500, I don't of think. Course. But like yeah. what goes into it is it just costs that much. It's, um, you know, those competitors have like finely machined, it's the Leica of that thing. It's right? so and, beautiful though. Yeah. And so Man. what you get it to do is maybe not that valuable, but like what you're getting in terms of a machine shop time and assembly time Wallet, yeah. versus for what you pay is like, you know, I make industrial machines often. Uh, they're very expensive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And the weight of it, you know, it's, it's an, it is an amazing product for sure. I was talking about this the other day. Do you guys, are you guys into uh, pens at all? I used to be, man. Same, uh, yeah. Same. I went, okay. I think, oh, yeah. What is this? Um, it's like a Japanese lacquer process. I forget the name of it all the time um, where they'll like, lacquer something and then like polish it and let it, let it sit for a day and then do this over and over and build up like 1200 layers over the course of years and it's like a mirror finish right okay i have a shiny plastic pen it looks the same right it works the same but it costs a dollar instead of like some 1200 dollar pen and you think like oh that pen isn't worth it but like also if you want that thing for whatever reason i'm not into i don't even know the name of the thing is uh, a, a some some mystery Japanese many layer lacquer. Uh, the name's <laughs> going to come to me, although it hasn't over the last two podcasts. Let's just call it that mystery yeah. Japanese two layer lacquer. If you is want it, that thing, like Burushi lacquer, yeah, I think that's it. Thank you. I've been looking for that for two podcasts, Jack. I want uh, to thank and shout out to our um, Google overlords for helping me out. <laughs> yeah, much appreciated, yeah. guys. Right. Okay. So, but if you want Urushi lacquer, like it's going to cost hundreds of dollars worth of time, if not thousands, for somebody to like come back and polish this pen or box or urn that you have for, you know, a year or two. And so, yeah, I mean, it's uh, right. It's just options. And stuff. that's what's good for the industry, though, is options. Yeah. Because. Yeah, their stuff is precision, craftsmanship, and uh, the way it looks, the weight of it, I would really appreciate that. And the gearing, it looks like it's amazing. And they, yeah. So there's a lot of competition out there, and that's good, though, for the consumer because people can choose what they want. And it looks like you're a camera-dactyl mongoose, though. It'll be reliable. Knock out a roll in a minute and 30, so there you go. Um, so best thing for that, should anyone have any issues or you need to, like, take one in for repair, you made it. You yeah, know what, you know what needs to replace it. It's not like, yeah, it's a brick. Sorry, mate, you're out. But it's yeah. like, no, no, I got you. I got you. Which part? Okay, I've done cool. a few. Send it back. Yep. And that's, so, that is so powerful. Yeah. I so like doing this live streaming while I'm doing like boring tasks like sanding things. You know, it's uh, I don't really have any production mongooses out in the world yet, but I will while I'm doing other menial tasks and like. I don't know, for like 20-something hours last week, I was available. Anybody could call in and video chat me, ask me about a product or what I thought about whatever. Talk printers, talk lasers, you know, <laughs> the usual. Yeah, I mean, and Ethan, this is your first Fourier into like software too, though, because there's software supporting it. So, you know, I think 
like your your uh, to do list is going to continue to grow and your support list, right? I mean, are you planning like maybe updates? It, I guess if there's an issue with so talk through that. The so it's firmware. It's it's not software. So like I write okay. the yeah. the firmware to the device before I send it out, and it's like it's kind of like a microwave. I don't foresee you know there were a bunch of software or or firmware tweaks done when I sent out the beta tester ones, but like the the one is pretty on, and I don't see like getting a thumb drive or a Wi-Fi uh, connection for my toaster to like change its <laughs> thing. Yeah. Uh, it's maybe there will be firmware updates, but like I think put it this way: like the the mongoose has uh, like three extra ports, two extra ports that don't get used in this model, but it it's got firmware to do some things with those ports, right? Like so it's. You know, it's not something like you run through your computer, right? You can connect your camera to your computer, but it has its own right. control box. Yep. And so I, th I think it should be good for a while. But, I mean, worst comes to worst, like, at the at the very worst, somebody can ship me, like, a brain for $5 in shipping, and I can ship them a new brain. That's, that's awesome. So, I also love to take that out of context. It sounds like yeah. you're if you're having a pretty rough time, you just ship me your brain and uh, it will go from there. It's five dollars. No, no, that, that's all. That's all. You, you'll be good. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. I'm not. Nothing <laughs> else. That's hilarious. <laughs> so, uh, what's next, Ethan? I mean, it, it sounds like all of this is just progressing organically right you the first one was just like hey i'm gonna put this out there the second one was like more focused and locked in and this third one is it's a massive evolution from what you've done previously right there previous it was a non-moving part and now it's stuff doing stuff with other stuff cameras yeah. rolling stuff you know it's literally it's that really, stuff stuff cute where yeah, do we that. go from here ethan what's next so the mongoose is actually a lot more like what i did before i started making cameras which is industrial automation machines, um, small microcontrollers that like move a thing, sense a thing, change how they move a thing based on how they sense a thing, trigger a thing, right? Like we could now, that machine could be a beer canning machine or a mongoose, whatever, just change your sensors and like the, the logic in the code, right? And so I haven't done that before. This took like a lot of chutzpah. I burned uh <laughs> over five thousand dollars fcc testing this thing for uh emissions like like it it was uh it took a lot of uh guesswork you know i was in it like you know over two thousand dollars a day and i don't know if it's going to pass and you just have to make changes and so products necessarily need to do a lot more money on you know probably even another order of magnitude than i'm at now for it to be worth fcc testing them um which basically all digital electronics need. So, um, you know, I think there will be more electronics projects to come. Uh, I know there will be, but I don't know that that's kind of where I will stay. Like, sometimes you just want to make a product that you know is never going to make 100 grand. Like, let's see, these DIY laser cut 4x5 kits. <laughs> soon to be available on cameradactyl.com. <laughs> uh, but like sometimes, you know, I just make uh, simple one-day products that don't uh, take me five months of R&D and, uh, you know, thousands of dollars in parts to figure out. Like this thing was, uh, I don't know, a bunch of wood, some electricity, and a day's worth of work. And now, like, people will be able to buy these little pinhole cameras for, I don't know, 30 bucks or something, like, and assemble them themselves with glue. Nice. So it sounds like you're you're in the uh, both camps of uh, short wins and long term wins. To kind of yeah, like absolutely, absolutely. You got to balance out your short, uh, long term mm -hmm. wins, which look like losses for a long time, and sometimes actually turn into losses. Uh, yeah. But um, it's it's hard. Like I I keep a notebook of all the projects that I'm working on and thinking about, and right now I have two open like intense. Uh, electronics projects. I have four camera projects open, ranging from like really simple pinholes to uh, more mechanically complex cameras, and like a couple of little projects. Like I've been trying to cut laser cut stamps 
like to make custom stamps, if for nothing else than to up my packaging game. Uh, <laughs> like, you know, I 3D printed this handle and laser cut this stamp that doesn't really work of a cactus <laughs> the other day. So, you know, like I always have something, but I, I try and um, make sure to have like some time for projects that won't eat my life for five months or like, you know, even if I want to take a day off, generally I don't want to take a day off and like go running. God, no. I would take a day <laughs> off and, uh, you know, make a different project <laughs> for a little bit, come back to the thing that I was working on. No, I can definitely get behind you with the running thing. Yeah. Still can't. Still can't. Yeah. You know what I think, I think is next? Like, let's kind of like just pontificate about like what could be in the future. I, I think larger brands like Lamography will buy you know companies like yours to you know they they have a marketing establishment already I, and i i mean and you definitely fit like with the lomography model if you think about it like so the other day i bought like 11 billion rolls of film from them and they had some type of special going where when you buy 10 and <laughs> 11 billion rolls of film they just give you free cameras and uh it came with like a hello kitty uh fisheye camera but but they also came with that constructor camera, which was like oh, awesome. the cardboard. Yeah. So you see what I'm saying? There's like a boutique niche and the companies yeah, like Marography have this marketing branding behind them. And companies like yours are like the seeding grounds for the future, right? Yeah. Nobody's going to make another Nikon F3, but there's people that are going to make. I might make a better constructor for sure. <laughs> yeah. You see, there we go. Like they, <clears throat> I think that's a possible future for makers like you that are doing cool stuff like this. I was checking out cameradactyl.com and obviously you have a lot of other products besides the major ones that we talked about. Like, uh, what was the viewfinders? Um, you got a ton of stuff on your website, dude, that we haven't even, Oh, all the handles, the butter grips. Butter boxes. Yeah. Yep. And, one thing I did want to ask about is, are you going to be making any more butter meters? No. So the deal with the butter meter is like, we were talking about EMC testing a little while ago and how expensive it was. I was wow, unsure right. that I, I could amortize FCC testing, you know, for a meter. And so I built that meter that was maybe three times the cost to me and twice the size, if not three times the size. And a quarter of the accuracy of like just doing it digitally and then Matt Beckberger did it digitally at Reveni labs and made like, I don't know, 80 grand worth of sales or something like that in USD, which was huge. And it taught me a real lesson that like, Oh, he just put out this light meter that I've had, you know, pieces of, or, or most of on my desk for a year now, like that I, I didn't think it was sellable. Right. And so, you know, for what I'd have to sell them for is like, minimum $85 these days, given the time it takes to assemble, like just go buy a Reveni Labs light meter. It's half the size. Uh, it's the same price. Basically it's four times as accurate. It's, uh, it's just kind of better in every way. Like, <laughs> I, pr I appreciate your, your input. Though. Yeah. I, and there's so many products that I have, like I don't need to like go after and try and eat Matt Beckberger's market. Right. Like Matt's got a good product. I don't need to make like the same product. I got other things to make. Matt's got ever other things to make. Like, you know, if if Matt does like a terrible thing one day, I will release an open source light meter uh, <laughs> that you can build for nothing and it call it the spite that, yeah. meter. But no, he and I are friends. Like, I don't know. That's fantastic. You know, that's like a, that's a hot take for the episode, guys. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I have a few actual <laughs> spite open source pro products around <laughs> in case for different manufacturers. You're just you hovering know, your you finger know. on the button. Oh hey, yeah, that's good though. Leverage. Yeah. No, but like I think it's it's nice that everybody's like a a community and like oh, you yeah. know if if people could only buy camera dactyl cameras and no other cameras like nobody would really buy cameras and then nobody would buy film and then we wouldn't have film and there would be no photography so like I need like Steve Lloyd to try and make a similar camera to me and then like I will we're, we're going to be the Lamborghini and Ferrari of the Stone Age here <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, there. Not not making race cars, but uh, yeah, it's it's nice to have other people out there. Yeah, I think there's a lot of space in this. Uh, I mean, everybody comes out with something, and then people are like, they got to be competitive. You don't have to. I mean, this space is so large. I mean, let's say it is even a million people. Uh, that's a, 
it's a lot of people to serve, you know, with a small boutique niche uh, line of products and services. So, uh, let's kept see. Kept me busy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. What else, Ethan? Are you going to make uh, automated film development kit? That would be amazing. A Jobo competitor, do that, please. <laughs> He's just shaking his head. Uh, Shit. Did I, did I, I, I guess <laughs> it out of just, thin air. Yeah, I mean, so <laughs> that is one that I have. I need that. I mean, man. I don't expect it next year, and somebody might beat me to it, right? But I think, you know, we, <laughs> the electronics in a 3D printer are really cheap right now and really good at doing the things that need to be done inside of a photo processor. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, hopefully I'll be the first there, but I'm not going to be there anytime soon. I got mongoose orders to fill and two other products to release, but um, I think it could be done. Yeah, I mean, how you keep people in film is like sanding down these sharp edges so they're not a sharp development, scanning, right? We're going to have to do that regardless, but how can we do it quicker, faster, easier? We live in the future, and in the future, things should be quicker, faster, easier, right? So people like you are the ones who are doing that for us. It's the, these micro creators that are rounding those edges off so we don't gash our shins open and i appreciate it man uh because like like i said i'm struggling on that plus tech and i know i'm not the only one there are literally thousands of people out there going through that every day and that's that push to dslr but then there's old dudes like me who are kind of resistant like if if i'm gonna go to that if i'm gonna use something that modern like, I need the whole thing to be ironed out. And then I'm in there with both feet, like, number one champion for that process. But until then, I'm just going to struggle on this little bread box scanner that I have. Thankfully, you know, I work remote, so I can just click it, advance one frame, click scan, and it does it while I'm in, like, a meeting or something. But to see that Kickstarter video you had, Ethan, where it did that in a minute 30, that was pretty insane. Thanks. Thanks. I hope you guys and a lot of people really dig it. Absolutely. Jack behind you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure. Jack had an intruder sure. in this room. I think, I think. Um, just, just checking to see that everything was okay. So I appreciate it. <laughs> She's like, you haven't came out of your room in a while, Jack. Are you still alive? <laughs> yeah. No, she's, she's great. Um, so, yes. What I wanted to uh, kind, of, kind of sort of wrap up with is, um, so Ethan, what are the, say, these other two things? What have you got up your sleeve? What have we got? got to look forward to in 2021 okay in 2021 i think certainly within this month when i move all of this mongoose stuff so i can get to my tabletop setup and actually take a picture of these for the website we will see um, a small product which will be a series of um, probably large format pinhole cameras in four by five and eight by ten maybe a little bit smaller that are flat pack self-assemble laser cut wood cameras so Basically, you don't need any woodworking tools besides like glue and maybe a glue brush and some black paint. And, um, you know, you can you don't need clamps, right, because all of the uh, joints are already laser cut to interdigitate like puzzle pieces. So you just glue it up and, um, you know, rubber band it together. So that'll be one of the first things. And then I'm working on. Sounds like you're going back to your uh, IKEA furniture assembly. Yes. When you're you're younger, just translating it to the modern age. Very I love much it. So. Um, so I have that. I have some other updated scanning gear that uh, I'll probably beg you guys to come on your then very successful public show uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, to plug. Um, those will be like larger projects, maybe a Kickstarter, maybe not. Um, and then I just got this giant laser cutter in that's been doing production jobs, um, and I would like to make some large format cameras and things around the uh, RA4 reversal process so you can make direct positives out of big, big cameras. And uh, we'll see what else I get into this year, but those that's are on my plate. Exciting. Thanks. Yeah. I'm glad you're around. I'm, I'm glad you like film because if it doesn't yeah, be the most, all this crazy stuff wouldn't be coming out man oh mac i'm glad you like me yeah <laughs> dude i'm pumped i'm gonna have to come I'll, I'll be heading east at least to albuquerque in january at some time so i'm gonna come check you out man i might uh like we talked about stop by do a youtube episode cool because uh, it'd be really vacation. cool to, yeah 
It's like right. a vacation where you go to a workshop and you have to make something before you can leave. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I, I mess up everything. So if you need me to be your QA for the most extreme testing, like if you saw my last video, I broke everything I had. So pretty much uh, <laughs> put me to, put me to work, Ethan. Yeah. Let's see if it holds I, you up. Know, I've wanted to do a video. So people have this idea that 3D printing is not strong, which is not true at all. Like 3D printing for a certain size is not strong. But I build these cameras like... 1.5x the times they should be in metal and so they're you know bulletproof and i wanted to do this series where chad runs over a homunculus or a bronco pan or something with my van and then doesn't believe it and then gets run over himself and that's the <laughs> end of chad who's a, a youtube personality of mine people did not like very much but um yeah maybe you can run over chad when you get here <laughs> okay yeah uh, I'm pretty sure yeah i'll find a way to break it ethan I'll you Great. So, Ethan, where can they find all of your stuff, like website, Instagram? Where, where are you at on socials? Cool. Um, you can find uh, cameras to buy or read about at cameradactyl.com. You can follow me on Instagram at cameradactyl. And you can find me. Uh, sometimes I do, like, informative videos, but sometimes I just live stream while I do medial tasks and talk to people about 3D printers or laser cutters or building cameras or you want to repair a washing machine. I, I repaired a, uh, or started working on a repair for a air organ the other day while like sanding parts. So yeah, <laughs> youtube.com slash cameradactyl cameras. That's awesome, man. Thank, <laughs> thanks for everything you do for the film industry. I'm super excited to see all this cool new stuff that you have coming out. Cool. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. Likewise. Thank you, Jack. All right, man. Well, thanks for coming on the show. I think that's a wrap, guys. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next episode. Thank you for listening to the Mac and Jack podcast. Woo! Yeah!